Well, I want you to bust open your notes. I want you to, if you're on version, use a, uh, an electronic means to engage with us. Um, if you've got your old school paper bulletin or maybe somebody showed up with a notebook and you're going to write your own notes, however you're going to do this, we've got a lot of ground to cover. If you're new with us, this Today's message is just a little bit different flow. I'm gonna, we're going to cover a lot of ground, and this is going to feel a little bit like a history lesson, okay? But this is, this is important, okay? We're in our second week of a series called Favorite, okay? Because what we need to understand, so many times we can even show up at church on Sunday, and we can read our Bible, and we can do some things so that we can try to earn favor from God. I want to kind of garner a little favor. I kind of was an idiot this week, you know, like I may decide to do something this afternoon real nice to try to get some favor with my wife because I was an idiot a second ago. And so, but thank God, thank goodness with God, we don't have to do that with him. We don't have to do that. We may have to try to undo things with each other sometimes, but with God, he's not looking for us to completely backtrack and undo all our mistakes and try to present ourselves nice and all pretty to God. And God, now here I am, you can use me and I'm holy like you. No, he makes us holy. He makes us that. And we are beneficiaries of his favor. And when we understand that, it shouldn't make us arrogant. It should make us humble. And we ought to understand that this, this is nothing we do on our own. We don't, we don't sit there and... and conjure it up we didn't earn it it's something god pours out on our lives but it will if we get this down it'll help us how we interact with god the bible tells us to boldly approach the throne of grace so many times we can be afraid to go to god with stuff and and we have to understand our interaction with god let's understand this right here god's heart is for people we said this exact phrase last week and we're saying it again and we'll say it again next week god's heart is for people his desire is to give us life and to have a relationship with us and to make us part of his plan to bring life and relationship to others. God's people, 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 people are God's favorites. Out of all his creation, God loves humanity. That's why from the very beginning all the way through when we look forward to revelations and what the end of the world and the new world and the new heaven and the new earth and you look at all that, it's all around God loving people. We cannot, cannot forget this. Now initially this sermon all the way up until Friday at like 1.30, I mean right before I sent my notes to my assistant, this sermon had a different title. It was called Favorite Price. Okay? And I changed it to favorite family because I just think it, it, it helps us understand what I'm wanting to communicate better. But there, there is this, this price. And my, my kids understand that dad has, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to have favorite people and it's one thing to have like a favorite ice cream, a favorite thing. But it's funny, I heard Carson this week, we were looking at buying some shoes for Keenan. We're at the shoe store and Carson, and of course, all the kids immediately go and you're finding shoes for a kid. And they all go and find shoes that they need. And so, and so they bring the shoes, like, oh, Dad, these are really cool. So Carson's looking at these shoes, and, and, and Weston's looking at some shoes, and Weston grabs some shoes, and he shows them to Carson, and Carson looks down inside the shoe and sees how much they cost. He says, that is not Dad's favorite price. <laughs> he just put those, he put those back. That is not his favorite price. Carson knows Daddy's favorite price for shoes. Believe it or not, I do have a number. And, uh, and so I number I spend on my shoes. Uh, I don't get to enforce that price on everybody else's shoes, but I enforce it on my shoes. I have a favorite price for shirts. My wife knows that there's a price I like to pay, and I don't want to pay a dime more than that. The price I pay for jeans, and just, I just, that's what I do. My kids understand that. 
And, uh, but as we begin to look at this, there is a price that's paid for our favor. Our favor wasn't free. Okay? Our favor wasn't just this thing that just came out of nowhere. Okay? There, was, there is a price. We're about to look at, at this thing and how favor came to us. But the ultimate thing, the whole reason of this, the whole reason this favorite thing matters is because God is about family and he's about building it. See, we've talked before last week, you know, that we have the Israelites and they were all born and children of Israel. And then even inside the Israelites, we had the Benjamites who all came out of Benjamin. And then even with things that weren't Israelites, we had the, the Moabites who were children of Moab and all of these. Well, guess what? As cheesy as it is, you and I are favorites. We are children of favor. That is where we come from. When we in Christ, that is where we are. And we need to understand that, that there is a, there is a family identity in that. There's, that's the way things go. And so last week we discussed that because of Jesus, we're no longer looking to find favor. All through the Old Testament, you'll see these great heroes that, that found favor with God. But we don't see that phrase again. We see that phrase with Mary. And of course, Jesus hasn't come yet and, and hasn't paid the price. Jesus is, is coming. That's when, when Mary finds favor. But we don't see that phrase again in the New Testament. We're not trying to find favor. In, in Jesus, we have it because we are born into it. We're born into that place of favor. And so the Bible is full of stories. I love the narratives of the Bible. And as you read through Genesis, it's all the stories and all this narrative. And you read through the, through the, um, the Gospels and there's all this narrative. And then you hit the hard places that are hard to read. You, where you hit Leviticus and you got all the rules and, and you get all of these difficult things and you got numbers where you say, well, this many people belong to this group and this many people belong to this group and all this. And that stuff becomes, it becomes a little more arduous to read. Not because it doesn't have good stuff in it, not because you can't learn anything from it, but because you and I connect with story. We connect with narrative. We connect with, and that's how we, we understand things because we live life. We're building, each building our own story right now. And so we connect with it. And this family identity comes from stories. We share stories all the time. There's, when I was growing up, there were stories. Every time I would go to my Mima's house, then me and my sister would sit there and they would put us on the, she'd put us on the little cots and we would go to sleep and we would say, Mima, tell us, tell us about Tom's bull. So she'd tell us a story about Tom's bull. Oh, Mima, tell us about the story about, about, um, um, going to get the eggs with Lenny and then she would tell us that story and there were just a handful of stories we wanted to hear over and over and over again it's one of these things they they build identity I always loved it when my dad and the uncles got together and I just sit there quietly and let them reminisce and hear all of the stories I loved it I find my kids doing that I mean, just the other day we were sitting around and, and Carson pipes up and wants me to share a story with somebody. And it's just, that's how the family identity is shared and it's formed. So when we look and we read this, we read the Old Testament, we need to understand that that's part of our story. That's part of our narrative. That's part of who we are. And that you and I, as Gentiles, as non-Jews, we came into that because of Jesus. So here we are. We're going we're about to pick up on one of our 
big stories. And this has such huge spiritual, life-changing, eternal implications. It, uh, we've learned so much about God. We learned so much about our relationship with him with this. So are you ready? Here we go. First off, we're going to look at Abraham's role in all people becoming favorites. Now you look at it. A few years ago, Time Magazine had this artist rendition of Abraham on the cover of Time Magazine. And because you look at the world and you break out, you take Christianity and all its derivatives, you take Islam and all of its derivatives, and you take Judaism, and all of them track back to Abraham. This one guy that wandered around and really didn't have a place to call his own, that wandered around all of these millennia ago, and they all come back and connect to this guy. Why does this guy, all these years later, have such a huge impact? That there are wars raging, that there are tensions. All the stuff over there in Gaza comes back to Abraham and his descendants and tension there that dates back for centuries and centuries and centuries. All of these different stuff. Our world is still being impacted by this man, whether you understand it or not. And guess what? On a bigger level, our eternities, our eternities have been impacted by this. And we're going to go and we're going to look at Genesis 22. And we're going to look at one of, from our perspective, one of the craziest stories, one of the craziest things God ever asked of a man. As a father to six kids, this is an insane moment in the scriptures. Okay? And I, I just... Oh, it's just amazing. We're going to pick up in verse 2. And we're going to do a lot of reading. We're going to interject as we go. So it says, Then God said, he's talking to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him. Oh, my goodness. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. We're going to pause right there. All right, here is his son Isaac. Isaac came from the wife that he had just loves and adores. Okay, It, it came from Sarah. Sarah was barren. If you don't know the story, she actually gets pregnant way, way past her prime. She's in her 90s. She's like, and she tells, when she overhears God telling, she's in a tent at one point, and overhears the angel of the Lord telling Abraham that, you know, about this time next year, Sarah's going to have a child. And she busts up laughing. She busts up laughing at God in the tent. And then God, you know, the angel of the Lord says, why are you laughing? I I wasn't laughing. She totally did. We still do that today. And she's totally laughing. She said, yes, you did too, laugh. And she, <clears throat> she ends up, same time, it was true, and Isaac is born. Abraham's a hundred, a hundred years old, folks. She is in her, she's 90 years old. And they have this child, this miracle child comes along from the promise of God. And then here, these years later, Abraham had been looking for this child, been wanting this child, and God now says, take this child. He's never asked this before and never asked it again. said, take this child and sacrifice him. And Abraham, early the next morning, he doesn't delay. He just, 
he just rolls with it. Genesis, we pick up in the next verse, in verse 7, says, <clears throat> or a few verses down, it says, Isaac spoke up, and he said to his father, said to Abraham, Father! Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, if we, we get to the rest of this story, initially we're going to say, hey, well, Abraham, you're taking the chicken way out. Don't you just be honest with the boy. You're it, son. I'm taking you and this is it for you. I don't know why he's, it looks like Abraham's taking the chicken way out, but he's not. He is speaking. He's speaking prophetically. He's not ch- taking the chicken way out of here. It says, and the two of them went on together. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he binds up his son. At this point, Isaac's figured it out. He's put two and two together. Yikes, Pop, what is up here? And he binds him up and he lays him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand. I just can't wrap my mind around this. Reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy says, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket saw a ram caught up by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be. It's future tense. It will be provided. Now, Abraham looks at him, and uh, Isaac wants to know where the lamb is. Abraham says, "Um, hey, you know, God will provide himself a lamb. God stops him because in his heart, and we're going to read in just a moment, we're going to pick up in Hebrews, and this explains what's happening in his heart. And we understand because Jesus tells us that if you commit adultery in your heart, it's, it's done. If you murder somebody in your heart, it's the same thing. Here he is. Abraham was sit there and was willing to do this in his heart. He wasn't feigning it. It wasn't putting on a show for God. It was a done deal in his heart. And God said, that's all I need. Your heart was fully there. It was done. You can stop. And did not require him to follow through with it. But what's provided? He stops him. And there's this ram. There's this ram there in the thicket. Now a ram and a lamb are not the same thing, folks. I mean, you, you said just the two words. If I say a ram, one picture comes to your mind. If I say a lamb, another little sweet picture comes to your mind. You know, I, I used to drive a Dodge Ram truck. It would not be the same if I drove a Dodge Lamb truck. It just is not. It just doesn't communicate remotely. There doesn't exist. You don't see a car named the Lamb. What do you drive? I drive a Lamb. Maybe, maybe a smart car could be a Lamb. Or a Lame. Or I'm sorry. Maybe you drive a smart car. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm joking. 
But, but no, there is something significantly different there. That what was needed at the moment was provided, but this is not what Abraham had prophesied about. This wasn't fulfilled there in the thicket. That's not what that was. That ram was that is something totally different. It's this symbol of power. It's this symbol of thing. It's this ram is stuck. This powerful, incredible thing is held there in the thicket. It's not that you picture a little lamb kind of caught in the vines and it's like helpless and whatnot. But not this beast. Not this ram. No, just whip it out. This thing, God held it there. And it's something totally different. Now let's look at Hebrews 11. Okay? Let's look at Hebrews 11 because we're understanding something that took place in Abraham's heart. And we really get the picture of this. Hebrews 11, verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises about, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I love that word, reckoned. We talk about that there is a reckoning that has to take place for our sin. <laughs> there was. There is this thing to reckon, is to some to consider. Maybe it wasn't actually lineage blood there, but we get considered to be in the offspring there. I, I love the way it was. In the verse 19, it says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he received Isaac back from the dead. He killed him in his heart and he was willing to do it. And he fully believed, according to Hebrews here, he was fully believed that he was coming back down that mountain with his son. Does he reckon that, he, that God could raise the dead? that he could sacrifice his son and have him back again. Now, when we understand covenant, folks, when we understand covenant, covenant is, is this thing where, where two parties come together to have this agreement, and they both bring everything to the table. You can't, I can't say, well, I'm going to bring, and I'm going to give my everything into this covenant with you, and you say, okay, well, I've, I've got... I got this piece of candy. There we go. We're, oh, well, good. Now we're in covenant together. We're equally committed. No, that's, that, it's everything. Now, maybe my everything is bigger than your everything, or your everything is bigger than my everything, but guess what? 100% is 100%. And that is how covenant is built. That is how covenant is built. And here God was entering into covenant with a man and asking a man, to be willing to give his son, his one and only son, as part of this covenant. And then Abraham recognizes that God is going to provide a lamb. And here on Mount Moriah, and they had to travel to Mount Moriah. They went three days, and at a three days journey, it was still afar off. Most theologians believe that, this, that Jesus died on the cross in this exact same place. And that mount that he's saying on the mountain, it will be provided. That all these years later, it was provided on that very same mountain. Now let's look back into Genesis. He's just sacrificed him. God's just stopped him. We look back into verse 15. It says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. 
Because what you have done, you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son. This gets said over and over and over again. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Uncountable. Uncountable. You're just so huge, an unnumbered amount. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations, all nations, all nations, that's you, I, everybody, every bit of humanity will be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed me. Abraham did that thing and it opened up a door. It opened up this place for God to be now do and it was an equal thing what was on his heart to do okay <clears throat> let's look at isaac we're going to jump down here it's not in your bolts it'll be on the screen genesis 26 says i will make your descendants god is talking to isaac now the one that just almost died and now he's an adult he says i will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and i will give them all lands and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed. Why? Because Abraham obeyed me and he kept my, requ my requirements, my covenants, my decrees and my laws. We look now, we have, we over and over again, you see in the Bible, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now let's look. Jacob, a couple of chapters later, gets the same promise. Therefore God, <clears throat> there, <clears throat> there above it, God, yeah, sorry, there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Again, this imagery, we're uncountable. And you will spread out on the, to the east and to the west, to the north and the south. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. This is God's plan. This is God's plan. Is here he was. He met with a man with a desire to bless the whole world. He met with a guy with a desire to bless the entire world. All people groups everywhere. Let's look at this. God is in the business of growing his family. We have to understand that. That is the whole Jesus is taking those that God created in his image. You and me and every person on the planet and that he created us to know him and to be in relationship with him and to, to be in his family and jesus is has reconciled us back to god he's growing his family romans eight twenty nine for god and i love it in the new living translation for god knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters now We've got this piece. We've got what Abraham did. Now we're going we're gonna to jump forward. Let's look at Matthew 11, 11. Because here is where, according to Jesus, and Jesus knows, folks, he knows, we meet the greatest person born of woman. Okay? We've already talked about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've, there's tons of heavy hitters all through the Old Testament. But we get to Matthew 11, 11. It says, I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than john the baptist among those now we're born of women we're born we're all come we all have a mama 
of anybody born that way. It is no one has risen greater than John the Baptist. Nobody's risen greater than John the Baptist. Yet look at this next phrase. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So he takes John the Baptist... Okay? And Jesus, remember, he's talking to Jews. They know their family heritage. They know these stories. They had them memorized. He's talking to Jews. All of his ministry was done to the Jewish nation. Okay? He's talking to them and he's telling them, John the Baptist, this guy, he surpasses Abraham. He surpasses Moses. He surpasses all of these different guys. He surpasses Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and all these guys. But yet... The least in the kingdom of heaven. We take this kingdom and it stops and it pinnacles. It stops right here with good old John the Baptist. And then we start the least of the kingdom of heaven. And that's the baseline. And then it goes up. What's the difference? What's the difference? These are all born of women. What's, what's the difference? What's, this isn't jiving. What's this kingdom of heaven thing? If everybody born of woman is lumped into this other thing, but yet this kingdom of heaven thing, what's the difference here? The difference is another birth. It's born. God's family isn't about physical birth. This is about spiritual birth. This is about something different. And Jesus is the one that presents us this idea. John 3, we're going to roll on through 17. We all know 16 so well. But let's look at it. It says, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So this guy, Nicodemus, you can hear the little bit of sarcasm in his voice. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Guess what? Nicodemus is still fixated on. Born of woman. Born of woman. He's still fixated on that. Born of woman. Do we have to... Well, this is creeped out, God. I don't understand this, Jesus. This is messed up. And can this happen? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. That's where we get that phrase, born again, Christians. We are, there's a rebirth. There is this new life that comes. Verse 13 picks up, No one has gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man, which that doesn't make any sense to you and I as Gentile people, but that's Moses lifting up the snake in the desert totally, totally communicates to this crowd and to this man in particular. There's a story where there where these snakes came and were biting all of the children of Israel because they were being idiots. And they bit them and they were, of course, snake bit, you could die. And Moses takes this pole and raises up, has this snake bill made it, and if they would look at it, then they would get healed. Okay? That's the imagery that he's using. And Jesus it says, that whoever believes in him shall... Ah, back up. Um, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Here's his first illusion, his first thing of him dying and him there on the cross. He's already talking about what he's going to do. It says, and therefore, who, he, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Remember, he was talking to Abraham 
about the nations of the world. He talked to Isaac about the nations of the world. He talked to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and where all the Israelites get their name. Is talk to him about the nations of the world. And here's Jesus again talking about the nations of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Where have we heard that phrase? There in the story of Abraham giving his, his son, his son of promise. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't show up to say, guess what? I've come straight from the throne of my daddy and you're all jacked up. None of you have pleased him. He is mad. He's ticked. You better deal with it. You better straighten up. No, Jesus comes telling us that we can have life and we can have life in him and forgiveness. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to do that thing that he wanted kids nobody could count. He wanted it. We look all the way to Revelations and it talks about there before the throne of God that there is a sea of humanity that no man can number. How do we get connected there? How do we get that place? Jesus, God was talking about it. He was talking about it there to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus says this is about the world. We look at Revelations. It's about all humanity. It's about the world. It's about heaven being filled up to a number nobody can count. What is the connection? It is Jesus Christ. It is Him. And it's Him. He did it. He is the fulfillment of it. Let's look at John 129. It says, The day after, Jesus sees uh, John, John the Baptist, The one greatest born of woman sees Jesus coming to him and says, See, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The people he was talking to knew it. All of the law pointed to the fact that they needed a Savior. All of the the sacrifices and all they did understood that, that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. Abraham, even in his moment of being willing to offer his son, declares God will provide himself in Christ, the Lamb. They, from that moment forward, said on the mountain, it will be provided. And here it culminates with the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, who we read about in the New Testament. He's the last Old Testament prophet. And he declares, that's him. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The thing that's holding all of us back, sin. It's now we can be reconnected. This is he of whom whom I said, one is coming after me, who was put over me because he was in existence before me. I myself had no knowledge of him, but I came giving baptism with water so that he may be seen openly. That was John the Baptist's whole deal, so that he could point to all these people who were looking for Messiah to show up to say, here he is. And then we see Jesus, the very first time he stands up and publicly makes any kind of speech. What do we see? Here it is in Luke 4. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the, for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is an allusion to something that the Jewish people had done every 50 years. They had the Jubilee and every, everything, the reset bet button got hit. Debts were forgiven. If you'd lost land, you got it back. If you were in slavery, you got set free. Everything was put back to the way it should have been. And Jesus says, that's what's happening right here. God's on me because he's putting it back the way it should have been to begin with. That is what favor is about, folks. It is about Jesus showing up and putting things the way they should have been. Nothing holding us back from having access to the Father. That's the way it was created in the Garden of Eden. That's the way it's, it's going to be. And when we look in Revelations, they were all before the throne. There's no veil. There's no thing separating us. We're right there in the presence of God. Jesus came, folks, so that this time of favor, we can be connected we can be connected. And I love what Paul says in Galatians 3.8. says, The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That's you and me. Anybody that's not a Jew. The Gentiles by faith. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations. He, here it says, He announced the gospel early to Abraham. And what was the gospel? All nations will be blessed through you. That was the good news. All nations will be blessed through you. That Jesus would come. He, Abraham, was willing to offer his son. He didn't have to go through with it. It was done in his heart. So, and then God being in covenant, offering his son to be able to bring the family and be reconnected. Folks, you and I are completely, completely made right with God. Not for jumping through any hoops, but for what? God did in Christ. And I love it that he did it legally. He wanted a covenant with humanity and he found a man who was willing to go as far as God himself was going to go. And just incredible. Incredible. And he did that so you and I could be children of favor. So we didn't have to try to do everything just right to, to please him and do all this. Because that was the whole Old Testament saying we couldn't do it. So now Jesus said just right, so now we can just love him and he can grow us from the inside out and he can transform us and we can have the Holy Spirit, his presence within us. See, folks, God has given us his son and through him we are reborn as children of God. Knowing that God spent heaven's best to make us his favorites should keep us moving forward in knowing him better and trusting him more. Why do we go through this history lesson? Why do we do all this? Does this mean we're all supposed to be Jews now? No. No. We don't see that in the New Testament. We don't see any of that. We are now in because of favor. We're now in because of what Jesus did. We now have relationship because of that. But we need to understand. Understand the, the fullness of the measure that God had been working this plan all along. That when we read the Old Testament, we see God's plan of salvation and Him moving at point, and that He didn't have just one people group on His mind. He had us all. He had us all on His mind. That is what this is about. That is what this is about. And when we understand the length that God has gone through, 
for us to just have this as have access to this this gratitude ought to just well up on our hearts and go god i'm just so grateful god i i want to live in it thank you daddy for doing this for me thank you daddy for all that you've done all the extreme things you've done to bring me to this point and now i just have access to you because of what you've done being a favorite it shouldn't come with arrogance it shouldn't come with any haughtiness it shouldn't come better than anybody or any of that stuff it ought to come with this incredible sense of gratitude and this desire that i'm not going to waste a moment of this i'm not going to waste this sin isn't keeping me from god all it's doing is keeping me from living in everything he gives me sin isn't in there it's it's not it's not having the destructive nature it had before I was in Christ. It still is destructive to our lives, but it's not, keeping, it's not jacking up our eternity. Now it's just keeping us from living in the, in, the, in the favor, in all that he's wanted to give us. And now when we go to this thing, we look and we're learning, and God's Holy Spirit is revealing to us all that we have in Christ and because of Christ. That's where we are today. Bless God, because God did it. Because God did it. It's so good. So this morning, I just <clears throat> want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to say yes to this and, and, and get in on this. This isn't about joining a church. This isn't about pledging allegiance to some denomination or religion. This is about saying, God, you went the full measure. You went the full distance to bring me into your family. And that now... I have access to you because of what Jesus did.